The Daily Rios Digest, November 14th, 2021. I just have to start off this first segment with uh, a heads up to everybody that Sal Abenanti has started a new Kickstarter for his Atomica story. And this is a Kickstarter for a full collection, a full omnibus, all 12 issues, uh, pinups, artwork, uh, front and back covers, just, just all, everything that you saw in the comics, if you were able to get your hands on those during, you know, conventions, plus some new stuff. And I, I have no doubt that, number one, that this is going to succeed. Number two, that it's going to hit a, a number of stretch goals. And that it's just going to be a beautiful package uh, once it's uh, shipped. Which I believe the, the shipping for this is, uh, you know, sometime in, in the middle of next year. And, you know, I have my hostage Kickstarter from Sal, and um, there were absolutely no problems with the shipment and with the packaging and with what I got, Um, you know, just really quality, quality work. So the Kickstarter has been released, and it runs until sometime mid-December, and um, if you are someone who... Um, experienced any of the fantastic podcasts from Sal, Uncle Sal, from the old CGS days, Um, you, you know, come and help, come and support. Uh, If you can't pledge, uh, you can certainly um, try to share on your social media. So I'm just going to finish up this first segment just by playing the actual Kickstarter video. And again, go check it out. Go to Kickstarter and just type in Atomica, A-T-O-M-I-K-A. Can't wait. Can't wait to see where this goes and can't wait to get the project. My name is Sal Abenanti. I'm the artist and creator of Atomica and The Hostage. Atomica is the modern 20th century god of the Soviet Union because a god is only as strong as his worship. And the mythological gods of Russia are now dying. So they want their power back. And the only way they can achieve that is by eliminating Atomica. The 12-issue story arc is basically Atomica's journey through the different regions of the Soviet Union, eliminating the mythological gods of Russia. Growing up in the 70s, I was a big, huge Jack Kirby fan. I kind of filtered my love for uh, Jack Kirby through uh, the idea of the Soviet Union being this evil empire. And I did two separate trades, but this is everything. This is the Big Megillah. This is the Atomica Love Fest of all the covers, all the back covers, all the pinups, the first 12 issues. It's, It's like, you know, everything, all the mistakes I made are kind of rectified with this and it's a labor of love for mine. So to see it in this omnibus form and to finally check this off and put it to bed, so to speak, is very rewarding. 
For rewards, we felt it was important always to have the entire omnibus package, the entire 12 issues, all the covers, all the art. We also felt that a lot of these covers and a lot of these back covers deserved kind of their own treatment. So that's why we want to offer a lithograph package. We're doing a series of Atomica bookmarks with some of the great art that's in the book from all these different artists that contributed. This is my second Kickstarter, my first uh, was the hostage. I'm an independent publisher. I'm an indie comic publisher. That's all I can do. That's that's the only thing that I know. I think you're really gonna enjoy what you get and what you see. And I'm I'm hoping you give it a shot. Top five Tuesday. Top five single issues that I'd like to read again for the first time. This was something that was kicked off over on Twitter and people were dropping all kinds of suggestions and examples. So it made me think, okay, what would be those issues that I would want to read again? Not just first issues, but things that, I don't know, either came to my mind immediately or had some kind of emotional resonance or whatever. So the only real parameter that I put on it was that it had to be a single issue, one comic book, not a graphic novel, not a collection, just one single comic book. And I also tried to pick things prior to, say, like the mid-2000s, like before, um, you know, we got into podcasting. So that way, because um, I could always go back and listen to those episodes again to try to remember what I thought of something, right? It's just too easy, right? I don't need to, I don't want that. I want, I want, um, I wanted to pick comics prior to that time that uh, really only resonate in, in my memory. So here they are. Some of these came to mind quickly. Some did not. Um, these are in no particular order. I'm going to start with, and some of them might be a little obvious, and I tried not to read things or not to mention things that I've talked about. Uh, in other episodes. Um, some of them, like I said, they're generic. You're probably going to go, right, of course you want to read that again. Anyway, okay. Uh, Tales of the Teen Titans Annual Number 3, the last part of the Judas Contract storyline. And I think I just wanted to read that because as a kid, that was, what was that, 1984, right? That was the first event if you if you want to call it that 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 I can remember reading, you know, it was the final chapter of a four-part storyline of a storyline that had been going on for probably a year or so by that point. And it was exciting. It was exciting to get to the end of it and to see how it was going to wrap up. We already got Dick Grayson as as Nightwing. We had a new character named Jericho. The Titans were captured. We knew Terra was a traitor. How was it going to wrap up? I had no idea. And it was an annual, and I remember sitting there as a kid, excited to read it. But I don't necessarily remember all of my reactions, right? So I would love to go back to read that again for the first time. Not even as a kid, like even now. What would it feel like, you know, if you could read that storyline again, that build up, and have that energy? Um... So I guess that's kind of like another parameter, you know. Do you want to go back to the age you were that you read these single issues or read them now with the knowledge you have? I mean, I think the, under, the underlying understanding of this, 
uh, top five is that you would have um, those same kind of reactions again. And then I could remember what my reactions were, like especially with this story, like the highs and lows, getting to see Nightwing in action, which was a big deal, getting to understand who Jericho was, um, and then the whole ending, you know? Like, yes, of course, of course this is like, this has to be on my list because it was one of the first monumental events of my comic book reading. Now, along with that notion of wanting to be surprised again and reading something um, with an emotional ending, I also picked New X-Men 146, the first part of the Planet X storyline by Grant Morrison, Phil Jimenez, and company. This was the issue that revealed that the new character of Zorn at least at that time, was Magneto. And I can remember getting to that issue and, you know, thinking, wait, what? What's this character doing? He's acting kind of weird. And then you get to that last page and you're like, wait a minute. Whoa. It, it, it was really kind of one of the big surprises of, um, of, that, of that time, you know? Um, the new X-Men run was so good, you know, it was such an interesting time to be an X-Men fan. And while they, there are clues, if you read prior issues, especially in hindsight, right? I really feel like that came out of nowhere in the best way possible. I don't know what the internet chatter was like at that time. All I know is I read that and I was like, wait, I didn't even think that this was a character that we should distrust. That's how that's how great uh, Morrison had written that character. Maybe there was something about like there being a traitor in their midst, but I I don't know. I just I was floored. I was floored with that reveal. So had to put that on my list. Another emotional issue is Legion of Superheroes issue number thirty eight from the five years later run. I don't want to talk too much about this in case you don't know about it, but if you know, you know. Um, first of all, it's a story told with all splash pages, if I remember, and there's a particular two-page or double-page spread that I remember having a physical reaction to, like a sensation went through my body when I turned that page. Again, if you know, you know. Um, it just was emotional and, uh, something about the way that story was told. It was obviously very different from the previous issues, but things were leading up to this issue and all of a sudden it hit and was just, wow, it just knocked me off my feet. So, um, I had to put that again because I would love to get that reaction again. It actually reminded me of reading... Turning the page to that double page spread reminded me of reading the first issue of Superman for All Seasons, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, and in that first issue, uh, later on in the book, Clark is ready to leave Smallville for Metropolis. So he's saying goodbye to his parents, of course. And he comes up on Pa Kent standing in a field. And you turn the page and they are looking at this sunset. And it is beautiful. It's gorgeous, gorgeous color art by Jarn Hansen. And 
I I remember also being very stunned by that for for a different reason. Just just the imagery of it, the brightness of it, that that a double page spread with painted art. I believe it was painted art, but with painted coloring, I should say. Um, that it made you feel like you were there. It made and it and then that also reminded me of one of my favorite season uh, uh, scenes in Superman the movie, where Ma Kent goes up to Clark and realizes that he has to leave and they hug each other and they're just standing there and uh the camera swoops around them and you see the clouds or the sun and the clouds and the sky and the fields and that was so perfectly captured in that first issue of Superman for All Seasons. So um I didn't put Superman for All Seasons on the list but that definitely would be uh uh on like an honorable mention just for that turn page alone. The, the value of turn pages, you know, I don't know if that's something you get from digital comics, but the value of turning a page to a, to a reveal, a secret, a, a double page spread, um, that's a lost art form, I think. Um, all right, so then number four on my list, The Incredible Hulk 467, the last issue of Peter David's original 12-year run on the title. It was entitled... The Lone and Level Sands. Peter David was not happy with the with having to uh, leave the book, but it gave us this fantastic issue where Rick Jones is in the future and he's being interviewed um, by the Daily Bugle, and it's all about Rick Jones's uh, experience with the Hulk and Bruce Banner, especially in the years after the death of Betty Ross, which I believe happened in one or one or two of the issues uh, prior to this story. So the story takes place in the future and it's filling in the gaps and it's kind of like, okay, here's everything Peter David would have done had he stayed on the book, had he been able to stay on the book. You know, hints of future storylines and the emotional uh, trauma that um, Banner feels uh, after the death of Betty Ross and the decline of the Hulk and future villains and um, future things that happen with the Avengers. It's so well told. It reminds me a little bit of Legion of Superheroes 38 where they kind of um, play around more with narrative storytelling and, and move away from dialogue here and there. Ultimately, it's an issue about Peter David's experience and, and his experience as a comic book writer, his experience as a writer on the Hulk, how he feels. Um, the last few pages are, are very much spoken in Peter David's voice. Um, it's, it's really great. It's a really great issue. It's kind of weird that, um, you know, 12 years of the Hulk... And I probably read maybe seven issues of that entire run, but the one issue I do remember reading was the last issue. And uh, I love issues like that, and I would love to go back and read that again. And then the last one on my list, this is a little bit of a cheat. I would love to go back and read for the first time the very first comic book I ever read. The problem is, is I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a comic that was in the collection that my uncle gave me. I don't know if it was a random Richie Rich comic. 
I don't know if it was something from school, like some kind of promotional thing, like a Looney Tunes or I don't know. I don't know. Or like one of those Radio Shack Superman comics. Um, my comic book reading in terms of superhero stuff that I remember buying myself happens in October of 1982. I've, I've talked about those issues a lot. But I was reading comics prior to that because I was reading all of those comics that my uncle gave me from farmer's markets. Um, but I was, I do remember also, um, you know, like in my mom or my older sister buying me a comic book, probably a Richie Rich. When I looked back in my inventory, I think the earliest Richie Rich that I still have is from like the summer of 1981. But there are a lot of Richie Rich comics that I read and shredded and they're gone. So I don't know how early they are. I'd have to go and like research and look at covers and see if any of them feel familiar. Um, but yeah, I would love to know what was the very first comic book that was put in my hands that, you know, this was sort of like my introduction to comic books. So that's my final um, slot here in this top five. The first comic book I ever read. What would be yours? What would be you in on your top five single issues that you wish you could read again? Let me know. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday recommendations for the week of November 10th. This is probably the longest uh, running segment here on the Daily Rios Digest because I love to talk about, you know, new books, what's coming out, and um, what you should be reading. And these are kind of little reminders for myself. Like, hey, you talked about it, so go do a review later, you know. All right, so uh, just some suggestions this week. From DC Comics, Amethyst, Princess of Gem World, the young reader's uh, graphic novel. This is within the, well, what they used to call the DC Zoom or the DC Ink line. This is by Shannon Hale, Dean Hale, art by Isaiah Fulmore. Amaya, Princess of House Amethyst in Gem World, and her brother love magical pranks. But when one goes much too far... Her parents ground the young royal to earth. They hope a week in the mundane world teaches her that magic is a privilege, and maybe washing dishes by hand will help her realize that the palace servants should be respected. Three years later, Amy has settled into middle school and ordinary life. She doesn't remember any other home, so when a prince of the realm brings her back to Gem World and restores her magical destiny, how will she cope? The Amethyst story has been told multiple times. You got the original run. You got the... Um, they tried to turn her into a little bit of a villain during the 90s. Certainly we had a new version during the New 52. We had the most recent version by Amy Reader. We had the those shorts on the DC Nation. Um, I don't know exactly where... Bendis's Amethyst falls within all this, and apparently she's also showing up in Flash soon. 
Um, and she might have showed up in like Justice League Dark and things like that. So any Amethyst tale I am going to love and buy and collect and read and support and recommend. <laughs> also from DC, Robin and Batman 1 of 3 by Jeff Lemire and art by Dustin Nguyen. The legendary story of Batman and Robin has reached nearly mythic proportions. The crime-fighting dynamic duo, always one step ahead of the criminals they pursue and never meeting a case too big. This isn't that story. This is the story of a young Dick Grayson, newly orphaned, struggling to find his way in a strange, difficult, dark new world. This is the story of Robin and Batman, $5.99. Again, sort of like Amethyst, I don't know where this falls. I don't know if this is, um, you know, Infinite Frontier Dick Grayson, Spillover from Rebirth Dick Grayson, New 52 Dick Grayson, where, or some kind of amalgamation of all of it, or just a whole new take. So either way, looking forward to getting that issue. From Image Comics, we have Home, the trade paperback collecting the five-issue series by Julio Anta and Anna Wyzicek. And this is a story about uh, a mother and a son who are separated at the U.S. border and uh, coming from uh, Guatemala. And the little boy must learn to ha harness his emerging superhuman abilities while being hunted by the federal government a comic debut that explores the real-world implica implications of a migrant with extraordinary powers. $16.99. And the music that you heard was from the Image Comics preview on YouTube, so I decided to play that. Also from Image, uh, Phenom X, or Phenomics, not sure how they're pronouncing that, issue number one by John Leguizamo. Yes, that John Leguizamo. Um, Aram Rapoport, Joe Maisiek, art by Chris Batista and others. Wrongfully imprisoned and desperate to regain his freedom, Max Gomez agrees to become a subject in an underground government experiment. When the trial gives him phenomenal shape-shifting abilities, Gomez learns that his new freedom requires surviving a super-powered war fought, fought on the streets of New York City. $6.99. It's kind of like um, Absorbing Man meets the Suicide Squad in a weird way. Um, I saw some preview pages. I don't know how this is going to be. I mean, it's John Languizamo. I'm going to get it. It feels like it's probably a comic to put out there so that they, they could sell to be a movie, right? Um, it feels very dialogue-driven. I, th I think that's the biggest flaw of comics like this. You can kind of tell when a comic is really just becoming a pitch for something else, a TV show, a Netflix series, a movie, whatever, because it is mostly dialogue-driven. They're not going to do a lot of Alan Moore ca captions. They're not going to do like a narrative thing. Um, it's going to be dialogue-based because TV is mostly dialogue-based. Uh, and I feel like that's what this is as soon as I flip through some of the previews. But I still got it. I still wanted to mention it. And uh, I will continue to get it. From Kodansha, we have Battle Angel Alita Volume 3 of 6 
$12.99, Yukita Kushiro. This contains chapters 18 through 25. And from Uncivilized Books, Ex Libris, Matt Madden, a character, this is, I, I love the solicitation to this, a character is trapped in a room with nothing but a futon and a, bo- a bookcase full of comics. As they peruse covers, read stories and fragments of stories, they begin to suspect that the comics contain hidden messages and a threat. Fiction and reality blur, sanity and madness become increasingly intertwined as the reader becomes convinced the key to their predicament is to be found between the panels of the strange books. It's a dizzying array of inventive visual and narrative styles, and this continues the line of exploration and play that Madden initiated with 99 Ways to Tell a Story Exercises in Style, $29.95. There you go, your comic book recommendations for the week of November 10th. A Thought for Thursday The Poem Sick by Shel Silverstein I cannot go to school today, said little Peggy Ann McKay. I have the measles and the mumps, a gash, a rash, and purple bumps. My mouth is wet, my throat is dry, I'm going blind in my right eye. My tonsils are as big as rocks. I've counted 16 chicken pox, and there's one more. That's 17. And don't you think my face looks green? My leg is cut, my eyes are blue. It might be in stomatic flu. I cough and sneeze and gasp and choke. I'm sure my left leg is broke. My hip hurts when I move my chin. My belly button Scathing in, my back is wrenched, my ankle sprained, my appendix pains each time it rains, my nose is cold, my toes are numb, I have a sliver in my thumb, my neck is stiff, my spine is weak, I hardly whisper when I speak, my tongue is filling up my mouth, I think my hair is falling out, my elbows bent, my spine ain't straight, my temperature is 108, my brain is shrunk, I cannot hear, there is a hole inside my ear, I have a hangnail, and my heart. What? What's that? What's that you say? You say today is Saturday? (laughs) Goodbye. I'm going out to play. Feedback Friday. So I've been wanting to collect feedback for a month and then talk about it, uh, you know, as a new month begins. But I'm going to jump ahead and, and just talk about feedback that I got for uh, a previous digest segment, a new segment called This or That, where I gave out 10 different um, pairings and you had to pick which one you wanted to keep out of those pairings, out of each of those pairings, not because they were your favorite, but because if you picked one, the other one went away completely. And everything they had worked on or anything in relation to them disappears as well. So it becomes less about which one is your favorite and which one you think needs to keep the legacy around or whatever. And uh, on Twitter, both uh, Stephen Orr and Eric, my co-host from Legion Project and host of the Longbox Review, uh, talked about how difficult this segment was. Um, 
and I got an email. I got an email from Mike Atchison, and Mike uh, rose to the challenge and listed and picked which pairing uh, or which um, selection he would want to keep from each pairing and wrote a few thought, uh, thoughts. And I thought, okay, this is great. This is exactly, I, I don't want to give listeners homework, but this is kind of the larger discussion I wanted to have um, once I, I kicked off this whole this or that segment. And I didn't know. I didn't know what kind of reaction I would get. And uh, I really like some of Mike's uh, choices and reasonings. And I even, I don't even know how I would answer most of those, right? So, um, so I'm going to spotlight Mike's email because he took the time to write, write in and make some choices. And this is all really great stuff. So it starts off, Peter, I have accepted the challenge. And as those TikTok videos claim, I understood the assignment. Like you said, this is more interesting because we are erasing the loser from history along with any of their derivative legacy. That's a great way to put it. I wonder if in this fictional scenario, the world will know what it has lost or are we ignorant of it just as it was after Crisis on Infinite Earths? So here are Mike's picks. Out of Thanos or Darkseid, Mike picks Darkseid. Since Thanos was inspired by Darkseid, I have to go with Darkseid, even considering that we would lose Mongol to the ether because Mongol was inspired by Thanos. We could still assume Starlin, who created both Mongol and Thanos, would skip the middle knockoff and make Darkseid the inspiration for Mongol. It would be a real shame to lose the movie version of Thanos, but surely they could come up with another universe-dominating despot to take his place. Blade the movie or Iron Man the movie? Mike says, I am ashamed to say I have never seen the Blade film, but I still would choose it as their survivor. Mike chose Blade the movie. Coming out in 1998, it kicked off the successful uh, movies based on Marvel Comics. Sorry that I can't count 1986, Howard the Duck. Although Iron Man was an, an outstanding movie and earned two Oscar nominations, I think the modern MCU could still have launched with one of the other tentpole character movies like Thor or even releasing Black Widow in more of a chron uh, chronological order than what we eventually got. That's interesting. That's a real interesting notion that um, uh, Mike is stating here, you know, uh, if not Iron Man, what else? You know, or if not Black Widow, maybe if the first Captain America movie started, right? Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fascinating notion. I, I like that. Back issue comics or new comics? Mike picks back issue comics. Uh, and, and by the way, when I say pick, I mean he's picking, these are the ones he wants to keep. This one is easy. I am at, I am at a point in um, my life where I am only buying new comics out of some sense of loyalty to both my local comic shop owner and the industry as a whole. I still get excited for a new event or idea, but they almost always pale in, com in comparison to my expectations, which are based on fond memories of past events and storylines. So, knowing I have a both physical and digital library to sa uh, satiate my nostalgic feeling, I will happily choose back issues. Plus, we would still have some. We would still have modern movies. Yeah, I think I would pick back issues over. 
um, new comics because, you know, there's 80 plus years of back issues that I could read uh, that would more than make up for it. Fritz the Cat or Frizz Freeling. And in this situation, uh, Mike is keeping Frizz Freeling. Mike says, at first I thought I should pass on this matchup as I only know of Fritz the Cat from reading about the history of underground comics. I have never read any of the works of Robert Crumb, and worse, I had never even heard of Frizz Freeling. In fact, I had the spelling wrong, and it, and it took a little research to come to the conclusion that we are talking about the creator-artist of many Looney Tunes characters. However, now that I know who the latter is, I would choose him. Any kid that lived in the second half of the 20th century probably would have a big hole in their heart if not for the lovable characters of Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Tweety, Sylvester, Daffy Duck, and Yosemite Sam. Alan Grant or Grant Morrison? Mike goes with Grant Morrison. The legacy of Morrison easily outweighs that of Alan Grant for me. Part of this is likely due to a big part of his DC writing being in the 90s when my comic reading was minimal. I do remember some of the Batman stories, and I am aware that Alan Grant co-created Victor Sage, The Ventriloquist, and Ratcatcher, but nothing seems to resonate with me. In contrast, it was Grant Morrison's JLA that brought me back to comics to stay in 1996. His hit list is way too long to mention here, but even not counting his overly weird and cerebral stuff, he wins this battle hands down. The Kubert brothers or the Hernandez brothers? Mike picks the Hernandez brothers. I love the Kubert family, and I think it is awesome how the comic and artistic legacy of Joe Kubert lives on in his sons, Adam and Andy, and granddaughters, Katie and Emma, not to mention his art school. All of that biases me greatly, and if I was living in a bubble and only cared about my personal preferences, I would choose the brothers Kubert. However, the comics world would be a dimmer place without the revolutionary Love and Rockets. Next matchup, Alex Ross or Alex Toth. Mike picks Alex Roth and say, or Alex Ross, excuse me, and says, you're right, the last few are more difficult. As much as the readers of multiple generations might suffer for it, I have to send Alex Toth into the great white wall of antimatter. While his work was recognizable, it wasn't completely unique, and I think the void would retroactively be filled by other creators. Alex Ross, on the other hand, is one of the modern masters, and I simply can't imagine not having experienced his work, not least of which Kingdom Come. While his sequential work is not as lauded as his covers and posters, it is still very good, and his uber-realistic characters are hard to stop looking at. He is the reason I still put posters on the wall at my age, where my wife allows me to, that is. Action Comics or Detective Comics, Mike picks Action Comics. This one almost makes me give up, but I have to pick Action Comics as the survivor. I hope to have Bat... Uh, I have to hope that Batman would emerge in some other title, but we simply can't take the chance of not having Superman introduced. The world needed him then, and we need him, or at least the ideal of him, now. Even if the choice was directly between Superman and Batman, I would choose the former because that is more of what the world needs. 
Fantastic Four number one or showcase number four. Uh, Mike picks showcase number four. This is a little easier in that while Fantastic Four number one opened the door for Marvel, if that team was not created, Jack Kirby would have created them under a different guise as he has for many other characters and teams. Showcase 4, however, turned the page for the industry. Coming out of the ashes of the idealistic and fantastical golden age and that brief and hard-to-define atomic age, Julia Schwartz and company brought back the glory of superheroes, albeit with reimagined powers, motivations, and origins based more in science than mysticism. Without the success of Showcase number 4, and it did take several subsequent Flash appearances in Showcase to restart the Flash title, it is hard to tell where comics would be now. I don't even want to think about it. And then finally, Jack Kirby or Will Eisner. Mike goes with Jack Kirby. Will Eisner is certainly the godfather of comics, and his legacy has reached far and wide, but I can't make myself choose anything other than Jack Kirby. Really, when you think about it, Kirby created, co-created, or was the inspiration for so much of the history of comics, there really is no other choice. Thanks for the challenge. It was very thought-provoking and a fun exercise. And thank you, Mike. That was great. Love that email. Um, I think I probably would agree with many of those choices. However, there might be some other things to think about, you know, like, for instance, like Detective Comics. Um, Detective Comics number one came out before Action Comics number one, right? Like, if you want to think of it in a historical sense. And, um, but but I certainly do understand the whole Superman-Batman thing. So, yeah, it's it's those kind of thoughts that I wanted to try to inspire and challenge and and think about, you know, showcase number four versus Fantastic Four number one, like... You know, we've already we already got a DC Comics universe prior to showcase number four. Like they could easily have just kept the Golden Age titles. Um, they could have revised all the Golden Age characters. But Fantastic Four is the birth of the modern Marvel universe, right? Like it's the first time we're seeing many of those characters. Um, there was no precursor, so you could certainly make an argument different that way. So those are the kind of things I, I, I was really trying to hope. Um, people would respond to and I don't I, again I don't know how I would answer it I can see both sides um, yeah these would be these would be great topics to pull out into lar larger conversations so Mike thank you so much for that email that was great and anybody can email me peter at thedailyrios.com or you can visit the website thedailyrios.com and leave comments on any of the posts Follow my Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Follow the Instagram, the Daily Rios Instagram. And by all means, if you are a podcaster or you have a comment or you are a creator or you have a Kickstarter coming up, send me an audio and I would love to play it as a bumper. This has been the Daily Rios episode 531, the 19th Digest for Sunday, November 14th, 2021. Talk to you soon. Latin superhero, it's like, what, what's up with that? I mean, we got yeah. real life Latin superhero, half the Mets are Latin, half the Astros and the Braves. Uh, we know Cardi B is a superhero. Yes. AOC is a superhero. <laughs> in, in, in my family, you got superheroes. My uncle, you know, he's, he can find a parking spot anywhere. That, yeah. That's right. a superpower. That you know, is a superpower. Come on, in New York City, you yeah. know that.